Before we open up God's word today, let's uh, go to him in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather here this morning. And we thank you that we live in a country where we can gather in freedom and sing praises to you. And Lord, as we've uh, sang songs recognizing the blessings that you give us, we're here this morning to realize the greatest blessing that you've given us is your son, Jesus Christ. And because of his life and death and resurrection, we have life and hope, both presently and eternally. And we're also thankful for the great blessing of your word that you've given us that is our guidebook for life, guides and directs us and shows us how you desire us to live. And Lord, I pray that as we open up your word this morning, that it might speak to our hearts and challenge us to be more like you. Lord, thank you for this church family where we gather together and, and we can serve you together and we can grow together. And Lord, I pray that, uh, uh, that you would meet with us this morning and that everything we do and say might bring you honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we begin this morning, I have a question to ask you. And the question is this. Do you ever stop and think about what you spend the most time talking about? What is, that, uh, what is it that you spend the most time talking about? In my house recently, this has been talked about a lot. Uh, Haley uh, just finished off her middle school uh, volleyball season, and in these last few weeks, she has spent a lot of time talking about volleyball. Uh, a lot of time talking about volleyball. Uh, entering this week, her, her team was undefeated, so it generated a lot of excitement, and she would come home from practice, and she'd get her ball out, and she would hit it downstairs, even during life group. We're trying to do Bible study, and I hear, I hear the volleyball beating against the door because she is excited about volleyball. Uh, even Zachary has gotten into the discussion, except he likes to uh, communicate with his sister and, and, and let her know why he thinks volleyball isn't a sport. Uh, because the referees don't move. And uh, that has, been inter has caused some interesting uh, uh, arguments between the two. And I warned Zachary, I warned him, I said, Zachary, you need to realize that there's a lot of high school ladies in Elizabethtown walking around that are very, very good at volleyball. Uh, both the E-Town girls and our Mount Calvary girls have had very, very excellent volleyball seasons. And I said, so you better be careful. They might stuff you in a locker or something like that. Uh, but, uh, uh, but, you know, Haley's excited about volleyball. And so she, she talks about volleyball a lot. And she's just like all of us. Whatever we're excited about or what's important, about, uh, important to us, we talk about uh, for, for guys, it might be sports. For, for ladies, it, it might be baking or, or, or clothing or whatever. But we talk about what's important to us. I mean, just at this week, as you go through the week, just kind of track, what, what is it I talk the most about? Well, this morning, we're going to open up uh, to Romans chapter 1, and, and we're going to look at what Paul liked to talk about, what was important to him. And the thing that was important to Paul and what he liked to talk about is the gospel, in the first 15 verses of chapter 1 that we've talked about over the last few weeks, in the two verses that we're going to talk about this morning, verses 16 and 17, the word gospel is used six times. And here's the thing. With Paul, the, the word gospel just wasn't one of his favorite words, but it was the focus of his life, furthering the spread of the good news. 
So he talked about the gospel a lot. The gospel was foundational to, to Paul. And before we go any further, I think it's fundamental that we comprehend the message of the gospel. This week, I, I spent some time kind of uh, researching and trying to come up with some definitions of the gospel. And I came across the Gospel Coalition's blog, and, and Trevin Wax listed a 30-page document of definitions of the gospel, both from, uh, from pastors and theologians in the past, from William Tyndale to Martin Luther to, to both Christians in the present, to Mark Deaver to Ed Stetzer. And Ed Stetzer came across, and, and he created this, this definition that he shares when someone asks him, what is the gospel? This is the definition that he shares. The gospel is the good news that God, who is more holy than we can imagine, looked upon with compassion people who are more sinful than we would possibly admit, and sent Jesus into history to establish his kingdom and reconcile people and the world to himself. Jesus, whose love is more extravagant than we can measure, came to sacrificially die for us so that by his death and resurrection we might gain through his grace what the Bible defines as new and eternal life. That's a great definition of the gospel, but a little hard to kind of memorize and communicate with someone when they ask you, well, what's the gospel? So, so Mark Deaver from Nine Marks um, shared a good way to biblically, biblically communicate the, the good news of the gospel with four essential concepts. And I think these are a little bit easier for us to kind of remember in communicating. And the first concept is this, God. God's the creator of all things. He's the creator of all things. He's perfectly holy. He's worthy of all worship. And he'll punish sin. So the first concept of the gospel starts with God. He's the creator. He's holy. He's worthy of our worship. He will punish sin. Then we move on to man. And all people, though created good, have become sinful by nature. From birth, all people are alienated from God. They're hostile to God. And they're subject to his wrath. So man is hostile to God and we're subject to his wrath, which moves to the next concept, and that's Christ. Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man, lived a sinless life, died on the cross to bear God's wrath in the place of all who would believe in him and rose from the grave in order to give his people eternal life. And so Christ, fully God and fully man, came and died in our place so we could have eternal life. And the final concept is this, is response. God calls everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and trust in Christ in order to be saved. And so when you think about trying to communicate the gospel, those are the four key concepts. God, man, Christ, and response. That when we're trying to share the gospel with someone, we should cover all of those points in that conversation. And the book of Romans is all about the gospel. And because of that, I thought it was important that, that here in the very beginning of our, of our study, that's going to take us through not only a few months this year, but a few months next year in Romans, that we understand what the gospel is. That we understand this good news that Paul decided to share in Rome. So that's the gospel. We're in week three of our series called uh, a change of heart. It's focused on the book of Romans. And in, in the first few weeks, Pastor Dick shared about how the author Paul introduced himself to the Christians at Rome. 
Uh, he cared about these Christians at Rome. He had never been there, but, but he knew about them. He even knew some of their names, and he cared about them. So he was introducing himself uh, to these Roman Christians. In the first seven verses of chapter 1, he shares his credentials with them. He says he was a servant of Jesus Christ. In loving devotion, Paul was enslaved to Jesus. He was his servant and was dedicated to obeying his will no matter what. So Paul says, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. He says, I'm also an apostle, one who has seen the risen Christ and has sent with authority and with some instructions. He said he was a preacher of the gospel. He proclaimed the good news of the gospel, that Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose again, and is able to save all who trust in him. So he introduces himself as a preacher of the gospel. And he finally introduced himself as a missionary to the Gentiles. He was a preacher of the gospel, and the gospel just wasn't for the Jews. It was for all the world. He was a missionary to the Gentiles. So he shares his credentials with them. And in Romans 1, 8 through 15, Paul continues his correspondence by sharing his concern for these Roman Christians. First, he says he was thankful for, for them. The faith of these Roman Christians were, was heard about and known throughout the, the Roman Empire. And so Paul says, I, I thank God for your faith. I'm thankful for you. He also shares that he prayed for them. He prayed for their ministry. He prayed for the opportunity that he could actually come and visit them and encourage them in person and teach them. He was thankful for, for them. He prayed for them. He, he said he loved them. His love for them produced a longing to actually see them face to face. He loved these Christian brothers and sisters in Rome. He also said he was in debt to them. As a preacher of the gospel and a missionary to the Gentiles, Paul had an obligation to minister in Rome, basically the center of civilization. So he said, you know, I'm in debt to you. I need to come and share what God has been teaching me. Come and share the gospel with you. And finally, he said he was eager to visit them. Paul was ready with his mind set on ministry in Rome. He wasn't going to Rome to sightsee. But he was going to Rome to win some souls to Christ. It wasn't a vacation, but, but it was a missionary journey, and he was ready to go to Rome. And so Paul kind of introduces himself uh, to these Roman uh, Christians in the first 15 verses of, of chapter 1 in Romans. And now this morning we're going to look at verses 16 and 17 in, in Romans chapter 1. And in these two verses, Paul shares his confidence in the gospel with them. These two verses are what many commentators call the thesis for the entire book of Romans. In 62 words, Paul expresses the theme of Romans, a theme that contains the most amazing, life-transforming truth that God has ever put in the hands of humans. These 62 ver two words are amazing, amazing words for us to look at this morning. They challenge us challenge our hearts of where our focus in our life is. 
And to understand this truth and positively respond to it is to have one's life completely changed, both presently and eternally. And so let's look at these, uh, uh, these two verses here this morning. We're going to kind of go through a bit by bit. But in the first part of verse 16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Paul's salvation produced an amazing change in his life. An amazing change happened in Paul's life. He went from Saul, an agent of suffering for Christians, one who, who, who persecuted Christians, to Paul, an agent of salvation, one who was going and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ to those who needed it. He wasn't ashamed of this gospel that changed his life. And it's interesting to know that Paul did encounter some opposition in, in this new mission of making the gospel known. He was imprisoned in Philippi. He was chased out of Thessalonica. He was smuggled out of Damascus and Berea. He was laughed at in Athens. He was considered a fool in Corinth. He was called a, a blasphemer and a lawbreaker in Jerusalem. And he was stoned and left for, death, for dead in Lystra. Yet in spite of all of that opposition, he didn't give up. He didn't say, you know what, that's enough. I get the picture. This isn't a real popular message, so I'm going to shut it down. He didn't say that. He was excited about the opportunity to preach and teach the gospel in Rome, the capital city of this pagan empire um, that practically ruled the entire world. And Paul's passion was to see people saved, and he was willing to make the personal sacrifices necessary to share the gospel. He was not ashamed, no matter the difficulty and affliction that the message might cause him. He wasn't ashamed. He didn't back down. He, he, he didn't pass on any of those opportunities to make the gospel known. And so he starts off with those great words, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. And now he moves on, and Paul, in the rest of these two verses, uses four words that express why he was confident in the message of the gospel. He uses four important words to express his confidence. And the, per the first word he uses is power. And in my house, we have a lot of these devices. Do you have a lot of these devices in your house? And because we have a lot of these devices in my house, we have a lot of these. Because the batteries run out on these devices, right? And so you need some of these, and, and, and we have a lot of these. And, and, you know, the performance of this device is based on if it's charged up or powered up, right? It needs power to work. For it to be effective and to be used effectively, it needs power. And if it doesn't have power, it's useless. It's useless. And so Paul is, is writing about the power of the gospel. And, you know, Rome liked the idea of power. They loved this idea of power. They were all about power. It was a military powerhouse with legions of soldiers stationed all over the world, but with all its military power, it had a weakness. Rome had a weakness. And Seneca, the philosopher, contemporary of Paul, called the city of Rome a cesspool of iniquity. A cesspool of iniquity. So Rome was superior militarily, but it was suffering morally. It was suffering morally. And so Paul writes about the gospel. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. And the Greek word here for power means miraculous strength or ability. 
The gospel has miraculous strength. Paul was confident in taking the message of the gospel to Rome because it was the dynamic and divine power of God that changed lives. It changed lives. He saw that up close and personal. He personally experienced the, 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 the transforming power of the gospel in his own salvation. Going from someone who persecuted the Christians to now someone who shared about how others could come become a Christian. He personally observed the power of the gospel at work in other wicked cities like Corinth or Ephesus and was confident it would work in Rome. And he was confident it would work because the gospel is energized by God's omnipotent power. Only his sovereign power is sufficient to save mankind from sin, changing our present situation and our eternal destination. And so Paul is like, I want to share the gospel because it is the power of God. It is powered by God's power. And people need to hear the good news. To say the gospel's power is to acknowledge its dynamic quality of the message. In the proclamation of the gospel, God is actively at work in reaching to the hearts of people who are powerless to save themselves from the problem of sin. So God's at work in the gospel. He is at work in saving those who are powerless to save themselves. And you know what? Today, we live, uh, people have a desire to want to be changed. And, and you might say, well, that doesn't make any sense because we don't like change. But if you watch all the commercials and all the advertising that comes our way that we're bombarded with on a daily basis, it's all about products that will change our life. Products that will change our life. Products and programs are marketed to us promising greater popularity, better productivity, uh, better possessions, and greater power. And many people want to be changed inwardly, making them feel less guilty and more content. And, and so we have these man-made philosophies that are promoted and promise peace. But none of these products or philosophies or programs can make mankind right with God. They can't make us right with God. It's not within man's power to change his own nation, nature. And the Bible also tells us that it's, it's clear that mankind can't be spiritually changed by practicing good works or participating in religious ritual. God's law wasn't given to us to rescue mankind, but to reveal our sinfulness and help us realize that we can only find relief in God's saving grace. And later in, in Romans, Paul talks about, uh, compares the power of God to how powerless mankind and the law is. In Romans 5, 6, Paul said, you see, ju at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. We were powerless to save ourselves. In Romans 8, 3, Paul talks about the law. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. So he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So the gospel is the power of God. And here's the important thing. Only the power of God is able to overcome man's sinful position and provide spiritual life. Only the power of God is able to overcome man's sinful position and provide spiritual life. So the gospel was powerful. It was powerful. The second word that uh, 
Paul uses to express why he was confident in the message of the gospel is salvation, is salvation. And in our house, we also have a lot of gear like this. We've got a lot of superhero gear. Zachary loves his superheroes. Uh, matter of fact, we walked to a friend's house last night, and it was dark, and he felt like he needed to take his Captain America shield to protect us. Um, but he loves his superhero gear. Uh, he, he just loves it. And, uh, and on a weekly basis, he dons this gear, and he battles the evil forces of darkness, which happened to be his sister. And um, of course, it makes sense, right? If, if you're a brother and had a sister, you understand exactly that battle of good between evil. Uh, but, but, but he dons his superhero gear, and he saves the world or saves our family from his sister. Uh, and, um, and if I'm honest, I love superheroes too, because you know what? They selflessly focus on rescuing others from evil enemies. They're selflessly focused on rescuing others from, uh, from the evil forces that work around them. And Jesus is our ultimate superhero. He stepped into reality, and he rescued us. In Romans 1, 16, it goes on. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God that brings salvation. That brings salvation. The greatest demonstration of God's power is bringing men to salvation. And the Greek word for salvation here means deliverance or rescue. And it's interesting, in Rome, the emperor was looked upon as a savior, he was looked upon the Savior that would deliver the people from the evil nations around them. And also in Rome, they looked at physicians as saviors who, who delivered them from, from disease and death that, uh, that maybe other nations didn't have uh, the medicine and, and the know-how to, to fight those diseases. Rome was a very proud nation, and yet the philosopher Seneca again said he taught that men were looking toward salvation. He said that men were overwhelmingly conscious of their weakness and insufficiency in necessary things, and because of that, they needed a hand down to lift us up. They needed a hand down to lift us up. And salvation through Christ is God's powerful hand that he has let down to bring rescue, to bring men up and rescue them from spiritual rebellion from spiritual rebellion. Paul was confident he was coming to Rome with a message from God that was powerful to save men from the death sentence of their sin, which is spiritual death and eternal separation from God. This message was powerful to save, to save from their hopeless circumstance that they couldn't save themselves from. This, this spiritual uh, um, darkness and rebellion that they were in that they couldn't save themselves for. And so Paul was coming with a powerful message that could save them. And we're not much different than Rome, are we? We live in a proud and, and, and independent society, and the thought of needing someone to help save us is just not American, is it? We can do it on our own. We can handle it on our own. It seems strange, but it's necessary because only through Christ alone and his sacrifice on the cross can mankind be saved from sin, from Satan, from judgment, from punishment, and from spiritual death. Paul said in Titus 2.11, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. To all people. 
All people need the gospel. All people need to respond to the gospel because all mankind is in rebellion against God because of sin. And we all need salvation. And salvation alone is found in Christ alone. Only he can rescue us from our spiritual rebellion. Salvation alone is found in Christ alone. Only he can rescue us from our spiritual rebellion. And so Paul was bringing the gospel to Rome, and it was powerful. It was, it was a saving message. And the third word that Paul used to express why he was confident in the message of the gospel was, uh, is the word faith. Is the word faith. And you know what? Daily living is filled with acts of faith. You, you exercised faith this morning. I'm sure that pretty much all of us probably this morning got into our cars, and we drove here. We had faith that our car was, was operating correctly, we also probably had faith that the cars around us were operating correctly and they wouldn't uh, come and hit us. Uh, you walked into the building this morning and you had faith uh, that this structure was secure and that the roof wouldn't collapse on us. When you sat down in your chair this morning, you had faith that the chair was able to carry your weight and not collapse when you sit on it, when you sat on it. Every day we, uh, we, we, you, you know, we exercise this natural faith this natural faith. All of life requires this natural faith, and we wouldn't be able to go about our daily routines without implicitly trusting in many things. But here Paul is not talking about natural faith in things, but a supernatural faith in God. He's talking about a supernatural faith in God, and so he goes on, he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. The sovereign power of God working through the gospel brings salvation to everyone who believes. The Greek word believe suggests the basic idea of continually trusting in, relying in, or having faith in. And Paul, in, in Ephesians 2.8, a very familiar verse to all of us, said, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Man cannot save himself by doing good works. We can't. We can't be good enough. It's impossible. Because we'll always fall short of God's perfect standard. standard. Salvation and eternal life is a gift of God that is gained by faith in Jesus Christ. And God doesn't ask man, mankind to behave, but to believe. He doesn't ask us to behave. He asks us to believe. And true belief in Jesus produces a life of God-honoring behavior. But it starts with belief. And true belief impacts our behavior. And at the end of verse 16, it's, it, we're encouraged that salvation has no national, racial, or ethnic barrier, but is given to everyone who believes, both Jew and Greek, the message of the salvation started with the Jews because they were God's chosen people, but was meant to be shared with all nations. All nations. National, racial, and ethnic backgrounds have a way of dividing people, but through faith in Christ, we are united as one in God's family. We're one in God's family. Paul in Galatians 3.26 said, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through, through faith. And in verse 28, he goes on and says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. 
belief in Christ unites us into the family of God, and we are all part of his family. It doesn't matter what our background is. If we believe, we're all part of his family. We're included in his family. And so it's important to realize that salvation is always established by faith, not earned by works, and it's available for everyone. It's always established by faith, not earned by works, and it's available for everyone. And so Paul's bringing this message of the gospel that was powerful, that could save those who believe. And he shares the final uh, word on why he was confident in the message of the gospel, and that word is righteousness. And in verse 17, he goes on, For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. The righteousness of God is revealed. Faith activates the divine power of God that brings salvation. And in that sovereign act, the righteousness of God is revealed. And here's the cool thing. Salvation is a supernatural transaction rendered by the grace of God, where we recognize Christ on the cross paid the price for our rebellion and sin, and we receive by faith Christ's righteousness into our account. And here's the good news. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, when he looks at us, he doesn't see our sin anymore but he sees Christ's righteousness that he has given to us. We are made right with him through faith. Our sin has been forgiven. It's been paid for. We are made right. And God's righteousness is revealed and received by all who believe in Jesus Christ. And Paul was talking about this in Philippians 3, and in verse 7, he goes on and he says, But whatever were, my, were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And he says this, Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from faith, from God on the basis of faith. And so Paul says, you know what? I have the righteousness of God in my life, and it's not because of all my actions, but it's because of my faith in God. He has credited his righteousness to me. I'm declared right. The righteous will live by faith uh, later on in, in verse 17 of Romans, he says, the righteous will live by faith. And this emphasizes the continuity of faith. Faith in Christ is a decision that completely impacts every aspect of our daily life. It's not just a one-time decision, but it's a one-time decision that has an impact that impacts the rest of our lives. Faith is a decision that affects our disposition. We're declared righteous and, de- and dedicated to do right. Faith is a decision that affects our disposition. We're, dedicate, we're, we're declared righteous and dedicated to do right. And Paul had confidence in the gospel because it was the power to save and make right those who believed it. And so in these two verses, Paul packs some amazing, amazing truth. Things that, that we could just um, sit and, and read over and over and over and let it sink into us. But, uh, but Paul, not ashamed of the gospel, and he was not ashamed because this gospel was powerful, and it was powerful to, to save mankind and to make them right with God. And so he wanted to share that with everyone. He wanted to share that with everyone, no matter the hardship that he might face. He was excited to talk about it. 
Well, last Friday, we went to Haley's last volleyball match. It was the last one of the year. They played the best team they've faced all year. The games were competitive. They, the first game, they jumped out to a pretty sizable lead and held on to win. The second game, they came out flat. They were down by 10 points, and it didn't look good. And somehow they rallied and, and, and won the game, and the celebration began because they had finished the year undefeated. And as soon as they finished the year undefeated, they were excited and celebrating, and, and uh, they, they, the girls, you know, wanted to talk, talk to everybody and share with everybody. Haley, you know, put it on Instagram, and on the whole way home, she just talked about volleyball. It was about how great the year was and how excited she was and how she was ready to play volleyball again, and she was sorry it was over, and she just talked about volleyball because it was important to her. We talk about the things that are important to us. Well, here in Romans 1, 16 and 17, Paul clearly communicates that the gospel is central to his life. His mission is to share it anywhere with anyone because it's the power of God to save and make right those who believe and have faith in Jesus. So Paul lived to talk about this. So the question we all need to ask ourselves this morning is, is the gospel important to me? Is the gospel important to me? Because if it is, we'd certainly look for opportunities to talk about it with others. And that's a question that I have to ask myself, too. Not just, I'm not just asking you, I'm asking myself. You see, it's easy for all of us to go through our week and talk about a lot of different things and be focused on about a lot of different things, even good things. But as we go through our week, is there any signs that the gospel is important to us? Do we look for opportunities to share it with others? I was at a friend's house last night and they were sharing about one of their neighbors, and this, this man's been their neighbor for a number of years, and, uh, and I know that they have a heart for this neighbor, and, and they've been praying, investing, inviting in this neighbor's life before we even talked about Pi Squared here this year. And, and around the fire last night, uh, I was encouraged by uh, the conversation. He was talking about how this man wasn't doing well. He's not doing well physically. And, and, and my friend was talking to another member of our church about the situation, and he was suggesting some, some, some tracks that uh, deal with cancer and how he could minister to him and in, in, in his need, his spiritual need in this last days of his life. And I was encouraged by that because... You could see the gospel was important in that conversation. There was a heart there for that neighbor who didn't know Christ. Is the gospel important to us? Are we willing in our conversations to learn how to move from the superficial to the serious to the spiritual? And learning how to kind of take those conversations with people that God brings apart uh, uh, our way on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, to, uh, to not just talk about the weather or the sports or how the Eagles are doing, but to, to listen and see what are the real needs in their life and try to, try to bring them to a spiritual discussion, a discussion about the gospel. As I looked at these two verses the, and as we 
read about Paul's life, not only here in Romans, but all throughout his writings. I was encouraged by this statement as I was thinking about the gospel and thinking about, is the gospel important to us? And here's the statement that I want to leave us with this morning. Don't be ashamed of and restrained with the gospel, but be amazed by and reveal the good news. Don't be ashamed of and restrained by the, with the gospel, but be amazed by and reveal the good news. You know what? If we were really amazed with the gospel, the fact that God saved us who couldn't save ourselves, we'd want to reveal it with other people. We really would. We'd want to make it known. We'd want to share it with other people. And see, I think what so often happens in my life when I think about when I trusted Christ as a five-year-old number, number of years ago, this whole Christianity thing becomes a routine. It becomes something that we just kind of do, and we lose, at least I lose sight of the amazing transaction that happened there when I put my faith in Jesus Christ. He declared me right with him. I, I was welcomed into his family. Is the gospel important to us? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to look at Paul's life and to see how he was confident in the gospel message and, and why he was confident in the gospel message, Lord. And we're thankful for just his, his great example of how he was bold in all situations to share the good news, no matter the personal outcome to himself. And Lord, I pray that... Uh, as we examine our own hearts and our own lives, Lord, I pray that first of all, that we'd all recognize that we're all sinners in need of a Savior. If there's any here today that haven't responded in faith, put their faith and trust in you, Lord, I pray that today might be the day of their salvation. And Lord, for those of us who are part of your family, I pray you might challenge our hearts to, to help us think and is the gospel important to us? Are we looking for opportunities to share it with other people? And Lord, help us to follow Paul's example. He was not ashamed. And he wasn't ashamed because he knew the gospel had the power to transform lives. And that same gospel that Paul shared many years ago is the gospel that we can share, and it's full of the same power that Paul saw at work, and we can see it at work in people's lives and them coming to know you as Savior. Lord, we're thankful even this week on the upward field as the gospel was shared that one little boy recognized that they were a sinner in need of a Savior and put their faith and trust in you. And Lord, we pray that... Uh, that you might help us to follow up and get him plugged into either our church or a church that can encourage him and help him to grow. But Lord, help us not to be ashamed of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.